In this talk, we're going to look at entryways and how through the key of renunciation, we close those doors the enemy has used to enter our lives. And then we'll look at the key of authority, taking back that authority given to us in Christ. Renunciation means I'm done with it. I make no place for it. I'm taking back my life in the name and person of Jesus Christ. Renunciation breaks any legal access the enemy may have, refusing to make a place for those lies of the enemy to reside. As one man put it, when he was renouncing the fear associated with his cancer diagnosis, I will not fellowship with you. Learning to renounce the enemy is part of our heritage as believers. You're perhaps familiar with RCIA, the Rite of Christian Initiation for Adults. It's based on how the early Christians were bringing people into the church in the third and fourth century. Only at that time, the catechumens had a three-year period of initiation, a long period of instruction about what it means to come out of the world and into the kingdom. And they'd be prayed with for deliverance regularly as they prepared for baptism. The catechumen was that long, not just so that they made sure they learned their catechism, but rather to make sure there was no longer any evil spirit at work in their life. Then at the Easter vigil, the candidates would be gathered with the community for baptism. They would face the West as the sun had set and proclaim, I renounce Satan and all his works and all his empty promises. I renounce the world and all its enticements, the lure of evil and the mastery of sin. Then they would turn around and face east and proclaim their faith. I believe in God, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, declaring the basic truths of the faith in the Apostles' Creed. Those catechumens knew that that moment they were immersed in the waters of baptism, they were truly dying. My life as I've known it is over, done. They were going to be buried in Christ. And when they came out, they would come out a new creation. It was a public declaration, an expression of their long process of conversion. But also a moment for the entire community to celebrate and recall their own baptism. Something we still do every year at Easter. We renew our baptismal promises. I remember how I was set free in Christ. I was baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. I was anointed with the gifts of the Holy Spirit and taken into the banquet of the Lord's Supper. We may not have undergone a three-year initiation, but we're here because we can take back whatever the enemy has stolen, any areas of our lives that we've been blinded, anything keeping us from the fullness of what God has in store for us. We need to take seriously the need for deliverance and ongoing conversion. The first crucial point is that like those catechumens, we all need to make a personal decision to accept the saving sovereignty of Christ. Pope Francis proposes that unfailingly each day, 
every one of us would make a genuine and personal act, turning once again to Christ, asking him to be with us as a friend. Pope even suggests the words we might use. Lord, I've let myself be deceived, and a thousand ways I have shunned your love. Yet here I am once more to renew my covenant with you. I need you. Save me once again, Lord. Take me once more into your redeeming embrace. Today, St. Paul reminds us, you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us the wisdom of God, as well as righteousness, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption, so that whoever boasts should boast in the Lord. When we look at the crucifix, it shows that price Christ paid for you and me. It reveals the value of my life in the eyes of God, how he adores me, loves me, and chooses me despite my sinfulness. And so, as Matt said, healing and deliverance is essentially bringing an open heart to God to encounter his love. Most of Unbound is removing and unlocking that box we've constructed around our heart. To do that, we must renounce anything that doesn't belong to God. Renounce anything that we've identified with that, that's apart from Christ, something that doesn't belong to him. This is what we mean by the third key, renunciation. Moreover, our conversion to Christ is not just a one-time event, but is ongoing. Deliverance is a process. There are at times major victories, other times minor ones, but it won't be all done at once. We want to see our entire lives as cooperating with the Holy Spirit, letting him do the work of setting us free. We keep our eyes fixed on Jesus and say, I trust in you and let him do the healing in us. The church has repeatedly taught that we're not justified by our own works or efforts, but by the grace of the Lord who always takes the initiative. And we're here to cooperate with his work by using the five keys to remove any obstacles that might be keeping us stuck or barriers blocking his work in us. The second crucial point is that we can identify and name our enemy and his strategies. And when we do so, we gain power over them. The key of renunciation is about observing and uncovering the entryways the enemy has made, how those patterns in your life began and developed into a negative influence on your life. As I said before, we can't give all the credit to the work and influence of the evil spirits. Our issues also involve an interaction between sin, our emotional and psychological issues, scars and wounds that develop from traumas in our life, developmental issues, our strengths, weaknesses, and personality. And so deliverance is not just looking at evil spirits, it's looking at people, looking at the whole person with all these aspects so that we can take hold of our freedom. Deliverance is about identifying those lies, those doors we opened to give the enemy a place in our life. 
The Unbound model is also handing you the five keys so that you can pray with these tools and continue to do so on your own, even after the weekend. You don't have to wait for a prayer team to do this. Neil Lozano identifies eight possible entryways, which are, again, listed in the companion workbook. First is unconfessed sin, repeated sin. Those ingrained patterns or habits of sin that become a bondage. Jesus says in John 8, 34, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. The nature of sin is that it enslaves us. It brings us into bondage. It makes it harder for us to distinguish right from wrong. Those ingrained patterns of sin, especially can become a stronghold where we start to justify or deny our sin. And at that moment, we're in agreement with the enemy. And we give him a right to build a stronghold in our thinking, a place for him to dwell in us. We may deceive ourselves with thoughts like, God understands. Or it's just a small sin. Or we tend to blame others or make excuses rather than take responsibility and repent. These thoughts, these lies are agreeing with the enemy and making a place for him in our thoughts. A stronghold is a house built of thoughts, a pattern of thinking, a structure of unbelief. Instead of repentance, we compromise with the sin and the lies of the enemy. And now it's not simply just a problem of sin. The sin can become an addiction, compulsive, and even demonically empowered. For example, if we don't forgive others and we hold on to that hurt, this can lead to a pattern of resentment and bitterness. And then the enemy will try to add even more to this area of bondage, blame, accusation, judgment, self-justification, even hatred. When the enemy has a stronghold in our thoughts, it's often surrounded by hopelessness, confusion, and despair. We feel like we're trapped in a web. If we don't learn to confess and repent, our thin sinful thoughts grow into a pattern of thinking that makes a home for the enemy's power to dwell. The second entryway is our response to trauma. We need to take responsibility for how we responded to the negative things and events that happened to us. For example, someone's betrayed you and you make a vow like, I will never trust another person again. You've just bound yourself and restricted your freedom to be able to enter into a relationship. Or someone who feels they didn't belong or weren't accepted in their family. So they strive to be perfect and begin to build their lives around this perfectionism, which is the only way they'll, they believe they'll be accepted and loved. We internalize our response to the things that happen to us. Often, I've made a judgment or choice that left me filled with self-pity, anger, or self-blame. And then those become patterns, and we live out our life based on those patterns. We can't change what happened to us. We can't control what others do. But now, how we respond is what we have a choice. 
Are we going to let the enemy use this as something to hold us in bondage? Or are we going to take responsibility for those choices by renouncing maybe those past choices I made that led to the bondage? Taking responsibility is not the same as taking or assigning blame. We don't blame ourselves or others for those past choices. But now we take responsibility for our patterns that don't line up with God's patterns. We look at our past responses together with the Lord and recognize the times I've withheld my heart from him. A third entry is family sin. Sinful patterns are sometimes passed from one generation to the next. Sometimes in subtle ways we're affected by the family atmosphere we grew up in. Perhaps you've seen those patterns of alcoholism, anger, or depression in some family or your own. But we're not cursed for life. We have the opportunity to choose, to cancel the enemy's plans to bring us down. God wants to give us freedom, not just by our own effort and willpower, but by taking hold of our freedom in Christ. When we look at our family history through the keys of repentance and renunciation, you take responsibility for how the evil spirits present in your family have affected you and may be present in your life. Be honest and see the negative patterns of thought or action as enemies that need to be defeated and deal with them. The next entryway is curses and self-afflicted curses. A curse is the opposite of a blessing. Is a negative word spoken over a person's identity and destiny that limits or tears them down. For example, a person says, I hate myself. I hate my body. That agreement with the lie of the enemy allows him to come in and hold this person in a pattern of self-hatred. If parents would say something like, you'll never amount to anything. You're worthless. These words can act like a curse upon their children because they'll believe that in their hearts. Now, for someone to put a spell or curse on you, there must be a foundation of fear, unbelief, or agreement with that curse for it to be effective. So you gave someone authority, such as taking a crystal from them or giving them your palm to read your fortune. You're giving the spirit that room to work when you give away your authority. Recognizing the fear, the unbelief, or the lie, and renouncing it will uncover the entryway that allowed the curse to take hold. And so we're just, again, cooperating with the Holy Spirit. Understand that place where the evil one has been able to come in, and he found that place to rest in us. And when that lie comes, you're worthless, you'll never amount to anything. Respond by saying to it, you don't know who my father is. Taking hold of our identity means no curse or lie can have power over me. Taking hold of who we are also means setting boundaries, not just accepting everything that comes from others as the truth. The fifth entryway is involvement with the occult. The very word occult means hidden. What it looks like on the surface is not its true meaning, as the enemy loves darkness and wants to work in hidden ways. Ouija boards, fortune tellers, psychics, seances, horoscopes, witchcraft. There's a long list in the back of the Unbound book. 
The Catechism explains this in the section on the First Commandment, paragraph 2116. All forms of divination are to be rejected. Recourse to Satan or demons, conjuring up the dead, or other practices falsely supposed to unveil the future. Consulting horoscopes, astrology, palm reading, clairvoyance, recourse to mediums. They all conceal a desire for power over time, history, and in the last analysis, power over other human beings, as well as a wish to conciliate hidden powers. They contradict the honor, respect, and loving fear that we owe to God alone. The occult is really a setup where you allow fear to enter your heart because it's a lack of trust. It's a lack of surrendering to the true authority of God and instead allowing the enemy to become entangled in our life. And so we renounce any words we have spoken, any spirits we may have invited. We get rid of any objects involved as we take back the authority we gave away. Six is rebellion and disobedience. If we reject a God-given authority over us, it can open us up to the influence of evil spirits, the destructive influences that want to capture us. We can yield to demonic influence through peer pressure, unhealthy associations and friendships, or codependent relationships where a person yields their identity to another person or group. Especially for teenagers, a broken relationship with one's parents is very dangerous because our parents are a source of our identity and enable us to understand who we are as God's children. We're called to forgive our parents and be healed not run and hide. Whether we like it or not, our parents are a source of our identity. We know who we are through these relationships, which need to be redeemed. Our identity is in Christ, which requires obedience as he is the Lord and no one else. The seventh entryway is identification with the lies we have believed. When I identify with the lie so much that it seems to belong and is part of me. Evil spirits become entangled with our self-perception and personality because they develop into those thought patterns and responses that are built up over time. The last entryway is sexual intercourse outside of marriage. God created sexual intercourse with the intention that it have a binding effect. As Paul explains in 1 Corinthians 6, do you not know? that he unites himself with a prostitute, becomes one body with her, for it is written the two will become one flesh. So intercourse outside of marriage creates a wound, an open door. Especially it can be a place of rejection and hurt. These spiritual bonds or soul ties that are formed need to be broken, especially if that person was spiritually wounded or in bondage themselves. Again, not that we need to be overly worried, concerned, and anxious about this. It's simply time to take care of it and take back what the enemy has stolen and anything we may have given away by saying, in the name of Jesus, I break every physical and spiritual tie with this person. And I take back what I gave to them and what they took from me. Now, I already mentioned a part of my own story. Believing the lie that I had to earn the father's love because of my experience of thinking I had to earn my dad's love. 
But that's just the first half of my unbound story. Many times in our modern culture, even in our families, we can be taught that our value comes from how our body looks, how much we make, or the things we have. I have a physical feature that some people notice. Some, it's always interesting, some will bring it right up. They don't, you know, they're not afraid to come right out and ask why I walk with a limp. Well, it's not a limp per se. It's a tightness of the muscles in my legs and back associated with a mild form of cerebral palsy I was born with. As a result, growing up, I often worried about what other people thought, how it made me look funny. I couldn't run as fast. I wasn't coordinated and I wasn't good at sports. Another measure our culture often uses to judge value or worth. And so many times I felt left out or different. And that playground memory of getting chosen last to be on the team every single time. My reaction to that at the time, I remember the conscious thought sometime in junior high that God had made a mistake. God had messed up somewhere along the line because he had created me imperfect. Now, thankfully, I didn't believe that lie for very long. I had good parents and teachers who helped me know the truth that Psalm, Psalm, Psalm 139 speaks of. Oh, Lord, you searched me and know me. You created every part of me. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Renunciation is taking responsibility for our response to past events. And with the help of the Holy Spirit, I began to see how I allowed that lie to enter into my personality. I used the excuse of being introverted to try to avoid relationships and thus avoid ever being hurt. I tried to escape, isolating myself, sometimes in good things like books and work. Other times, not such good things like video games and fantasy. In some, I had to not only renounce the lie, but the immature patterns of isolation and self-perfection that led me to fail to love and to trust. It started with that lie that God had screwed up, believing God could make a mistake. And I fell into patterns of thinking that I had to manufacture my own happiness because I sure can't trust God with my well-being and happiness. <laughs> Thankfully, after renouncing the lie and the resulting patterns of thought, those strongholds I developed, I've not only accepted how this is the way God made me to be, I've had it confirmed. God in his mysterious plan wanted a priest with cerebral palsy. Not that I'm going to let it shape my identity. Plus, I don't let it stop me from bicycling, golfing, and doing the other things I want to do. It simply means I'm never going to touch my toes. To conclude with some final words about authority. We have spiritual enemies that work through lies and deception. And they rob us of the freedom we've been given in Christ. Through the death and resurrection of Jesus, we've been saved from them. The enemy has been defeated. And the Lord has given us the gift of the Holy Spirit. We have authority in Christ against our enemies. 
Authority is the power to act on behalf of someone else. And as sons of daughters of God, we carry his authority over our enemies. Once a believer has repented of sin, forgiven others, and identified and renounced the deception, the enemy's power is broken. Now he's the one who's bound, not us. Speaking a word of command, a word of authority, is simply acting on this truth. It is understanding and knowing the truth and simply saying, in the name of Jesus, not by my own authority, but in the name of the one who has been given all authority in heaven on earth, in union with the one who is my Savior and Lord, you can simply say, in the name of Jesus, I command every spirit that I have renounced to leave right now. Now, if there is unrepented sin, unforgiveness, or agreement with the lies of the enemy, and you're trying to drive spirits out, you're going to be left in conflict. That's why we ask the Holy Spirit to help us to identify those entryways, those lies that opened up the legal right for the demonic influence. We identify the lie and the spirit behind us. That is why the word of command is only given after those keys of repentance, forgiveness, and renunciation have been applied. The word of command in the unbound model is an expression of faith. That once the legal right of the enemy has been broken, we have authority in Christ over our enemies. No matter how small our mustard seed size faith is, once that legal right's been broken, the demon must believe a believer's life. Many deliverance models focus on confrontation with demons. We're not confronting the demons. We're helping people take back what is theirs in Christ. As sons and daughters, we need to recognize we have authority to carry out our father's business. Remember, renouncing means I'm done with it. I make no place for it. I'm taking my life back. And I do that in the person and power of Jesus Christ. Pray for the grace to want to be free. Receive the love and acceptance God has for you. And be changed by the truth. Coming out of the kingdom of darkness, may we come fully into our inheritance as sons and daughters God has given us in Jesus Christ. To him be all glory and honor forever. Amen.